you can't do four or five hours of radio a day, live with no safety net, five days a week without eventually saying something that you wish you didn't say. And I take pride in the fact I never suspended anybody in my entire career for something they said on the air. Never. I I didn't believe in it. Welcome to Brand With On Demand, your guide to rebooting radio. Well, I just want to clarify one thing. I was never Howard Stern's boss. I don't know that anybody's ever been Howard Stern's boss, at least not in the last 40 years. So (laughs) the lesson that I really learned from being with Howard Stern is that the First Amendment is unconditional. It has to be unconditional, and you, you have to unconditionally support your people. Brandwith On Demand, rebooting radio with a different take on all radio can be. Now your guides through the mediamorphosis, David Martin, and author of the book Brandwith, media branding coach, Kipper McGee. Our guest this time around is best known as the program director who took Howard Stern from a kind of a local one-station guy to a network guy. He did the first Howard Stern radio simulcast in Philadelphia and then later L.A., spawning Howard's national radio show. And you know, that's turned out pretty well. He's also programmed legendary radio stations, including WIP, WPHT, and WYSB in Philly, KLSX Los Angeles, and WCCO Minneapolis. He served as Vice President of Programming for MS International, Greater Media, and Coleman Research. And now he is President of Andy Bloom Communications, where he specializes in media training and political communications, and his writings have appeared in just about every trade possible. All the ones that matter, including a weekly column now appearing in Barrett News Media. Brand with On Demand is proud to welcome Andy Bloom. Good afternoon, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Andy, I know you do a lot of stuff from then to now and next, but let's start with some good old-fashioned radio stuff. What was it like being a boss or working with Howard Stern, and what are some of the biggest lessons you took away from having that experience? Well, I just want to clarify one thing. I was never Howard Stern's boss. I don't know that anybody's ever been Howard Stern's boss, at least not in the last 40 years. So so the lesson that I really learned from being with Howard Stern is one, the, the most important thing I learned from Howard Stern, aside from being a good lackey is essential to getting Howard Stern to, to help you out, is that the First Amendment is unconditional. It has to be unconditional. And number, number two or number three, you, you have to unconditionally support your people. And I think that's one thing if you talk to somebody like Angelo Cataldi, and Angelo, by the way, if he'll do this, would be a great subject. Angelo, next to Howard, is probably the most talented radio personality I've ever worked with. Unbelievably smart. And the thing that I think, and Angelo really rocky start because of a really stupid incident that happened because of the Philadelphia Eagles. But Angelo and I, I think we found our peace because of two things that I learned working with Howard Stern. Number one is give them what they need. Be their lackey. My line to Angelo was, what do you need? And really what I learned from Howard Stern, Howard, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? And there's a really funny bit that you can probably still find on the internet where Howard is coming out to LA and they're doing a phony phone call and it's Howard just running down his list of demands. And it's, you know, they want M&Ms and they want all the brown ones taken out and he wants Kung Fu movies in his room 
And, you know, they, they want it's just a ridiculous list of demands. But if you listen to it, I'm just taking notes and going, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh huh. And I never break. I never break stride. And at some point they just crack up because they can't believe I'm saying, uh huh, uh huh. <laughs> but my job with Howard was, okay, Howard, if you want Kung Fu movies in your room and a box of tissues on every flat surface, I'll get it for you. No problem. I'll take care of it. <laughs> and that's what I did with Angelo. Angelo, you tell me what you need and I'll figure out how to get it for you. And it was always my job to get the, the big name personalities, the things that they wanted so they could do their job. And I would go fight those battles with management. My job was to insulate them from management and get them what they wanted. And I, I think they appreciated it. The second part of my job was to protect them when they said something stupid. And you can't do four or five hours of radio a day, live with no safety net, five days a week without eventually saying something that you wish you didn't say. Mm -hmm. And I take pride in the fact I never suspended anybody in my entire career for something they said on the air. Never. I, I didn't believe in it. If what they said was truly so outrageous and bad, well, maybe they needed to be fired for it, but they didn't need to be suspended. Maybe they need to be taken... <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I've had to fire people for things they said on the air. Usually sure. it was it was letting an F-bomb slide or something when they, they should have hit delay or shouldn't have said it or, uh, or in one case, being drunk on the air. Uh, <laughs> but I never suspended somebody for, for offending somebody. I just didn't believe in it. Okay, you offended somebody. It, it happens. You're, you're doing live radio. You weren't trying to offend somebody. It, it, it just happens. So I didn't suspend people for that. And a lot of times I took the heat instead of letting the air talent take the heat for whatever happened. And I would argue with management that it wasn't really that bad or that the whatever group was protesting was overreacting and so on and so forth. Um, so defense those, attorney. Uh, yeah, I played defense attorney a lot. That's, that's a, exactly that's right. A, that's Loom a, that's a, for the defense. Great stuff. Those are the big things that I learned. And, you know, one of the benefits of having Howard Stern and not being there, and, and maybe Mark Chernoff wasn't equally as lucky in, in New York, was, you know, having him come down the phone line and not having to see him on a day-to-day -day basis or deal with whatever problems he was having in the studio with whatever mm -hmm. equipment didn't work was, was most of the time I just got to enjoy it. I just got to yep. sleep in a little later and didn't have to be there every day when he was in the middle of whatever crisis. And I could just laugh at the show and enjoy it and become a true fan. And, and I was. I think I was the ultimate Howard Stern fan. So this is personal for you. Without naming names, unless you want to, uh, <laughs> tell us about some of the best and worst situations you've worked in and what characteristics or traits made them feel that way. Well, the worst situation I had was the last one at WCCO, and I'm not afraid to name names. Uh, and what made it the worst situation was I was hired to make change. And mm -hmm. they knew I, I had a, a book. I'm just looking over to see if I can see it. I had a notebook mm -hmm. labeled the playbook. It was three inches thick and it went into explicit details with what I wanted to change. They knew what I wanted to change from from top to bottom. And once I, I got here, it, it was like it was a surprise to them that I that I wanted to make the changes. So I, I wasn't allowed to make any of the changes. 
And I found myself shifting papers from one pile to the other, wondering what I was doing here. The best situations that I've had are the ones where I've had a great general manager, and there have been a lot of them. Working for Mark Rayfield at WIP was a pleasure. Ken Stevens uh, at, at WISP was, was a pleasure. And that's not to say every day was, was a dream day. There was always tough days, but, but working for Ken and Mark was, was always good because they, they supported the mission. They did their best to get resources. It's always been tough to get resources in radio. Look, I loved working for Mel at Infinity. Uh, Mel was tough, but he was fair. Uh, I loved working for Dan Mason. He was a programmer. I've worked for some really great people. I liked work. I loved working for Charlie Banta at Greater Media. I have worked for some truly great companies and truly great people. And if I had to tell you who was the best out of all of them, it has to be Jeff Somalian and Rick Cummings at MS. Absolutely the best people to work for. Anyone who has worked for Jeff and Rick knows that they've been blessed. Absolutely. I totally agree with that, Andy. You know, sometimes the best way to look at our industry is to back up and look at another industry. You recently had some interesting thoughts on the shakeup at CNN, which has always been radio with pictures. You offered some thoughts on how you'd fix it. Can radio people learn from that case study evolving in real time right now? Well, a lot of it just goes back to the positioning book and the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. You have to pick something. You have to be a leader in something. And CNN's problem is I don't know what they are. They are the second place liberal network, the third place cable news network. They don't lead in anything. They are a follower. They aren't really committed. If you want to be the liberal network, MSNBC is a much better liberal network. Their premise is that they are the cable news network, but they stopped being a news network about the same time MTV stopped being a music television network. Yeah, when Turner uh, left, so did news. Yeah. If tomorrow I went into CNN, I would try to make it an honest news network that followed journalism standards the way we knew them when we were growing up. Is there an audience for it? I don't know. I haven't done the research to find out, but at least anecdotally talking to people that I know. People are longing for news without opinion. Now, people think that the news that they get is, is news, but it's really news filtered through their own common core beliefs. And I think that there is an appetite for actual news that is unfiltered with, with opinion. I might be wrong. I haven't done the research to know it. But from my radio experience, I certainly see that successful news stations at least make an effort to separate news and opinion. And that's what made CNN great. I certainly know if there's a natural disaster or if war breaks out, I certainly know that the ratings skyrocket then. Whether that's enough to sustain on a daily basis, I'm not positive. I'd love to do the research and find out. But, but CNN is lost right now. They're, they're nothing. And I recently wrote a column, an open letter to, to the CEO of Warner Discovery, David Zaslov, saying, you know, hey, hire me. I, and certainly I couldn't do any worse, but, but the, the, the incident yeah. that, I, that I picked on was, was the Trump town hall. The, the Trump town hall really proved to everybody that CNN was nothing. The people who are currently watching CNN, the 600, 700,000 on any given night, watched that Trump town hall with disgust and said, I can't trust you. You would put this guy who lies on 
I, I can't trust your network. The Trump people who actually tuned in and gave them 3.3 million viewers for the first time in over two years watched that town hall and said, you're as bad as I thought you were. I'm certainly not coming back to your network anytime soon. And to everybody else, what it really showed was that the people who are in charge of CNN are the anchors. To have your anchor go on and say, I wouldn't blame you if you never watch this network again. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, you know, Fox just showed CNN that nobody's bigger than the network. If they're willing to fire Tucker Carlson, for whatever reason they fired him, Chris Licht should have called Anderson Cooper and Jake Tapper in the next day and fired them with cause. Yeah. They have no business on that network. They hurt the network more than they help the network. Wow. So David Zasloff, if you see this or anybody sees this who knows him, have him call me, have him hire me, because I can't <laughs> do any worse with CNN than they have done for the past five years. Yeah, that's true. And I think we can also see it with uh, long-term news radio stations like 1010 <clears throat> Winds in New York or TLP in D.C., BBM in Chicago. I mean, if they stick to the real news, they do pretty well. And, but, and, and, and that, that just is my point. I mean, those radio stations really don't present news with a bias. They try to present it right down the middle. And they consistently have great ratings. And certainly TOP has been, what, the ratings leader now? I mean, the revenue leader among all radio stations mm -hmm. nationally. Oh, for, for five or six yeah. years in a row. Yeah. So, so there mm -hmm. is an appetite, at least in radio, and I, I can't tell you that I've done any work doing research for cable television, but I have to believe there is an appetite for cable news that just reports the facts, as I call it the Joe Friday approach, just the facts, ma'am. Indeed. Switching gears, you've also noticed some evidence that the device called the radio might be disappearing we see it in Edison's Infinite Dial. We see it in the Jacobs Tech Survey and other sources. So the question for you is, what do you see as the best options right now to keep branded audio content relevant? Yeah, we, we, we see it anecdotally, and the Jacobs Tech Surveys have shown it, that the number of people who own a device called the radio, a radio at home, has now slipped under 80%. And with millennials uh, and Gen Z, it's under 70%. It's in the 60% range. As the radio disappears and people continue to consume audio content on smartphones, smart speakers, streaming audio, radio is losing listenership. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can fight the tides and that we can actually get people to continue to use a device known as the radio. And I'm certainly not suggesting that you shouldn't, uh, radio shouldn't continue to try to get people to listen on mobile apps and smart speakers and, and on digital devices. But where radio needs to fight its last stand is on the car dashboard. Don't give in. The radio industry needs to fight cohesively to keep its space on the car dashboard. Losing there is really is the end. That's when we'll see this huge precipitous drop that will be unbelievable, that will be cataclysmic. In the meantime, my prescription for radio that has limited resources is stop making your people do ridiculous amounts of extra work to create content for podcasts and everything else 
and focus your resources on building better apps, building better smart speaker apps, and getting people to use them as best you can as an industry or as an individual station. We've got to convert more people there and stop doing stupid things. We keep getting rid of, whether through attrition, through retirement, through buyouts, through workforce reductions, we keep getting rid of our most brilliant personalities, our most brilliant programmers. We keep adding commercial units for a dollar. If someone will give us a dollar, we'll add another minute of commercials, no problem. And then we wonder why the people who are choosing other options that they know they have on their smartphones and smart speakers are listening to other sources of audio entertainment that don't make the same stupid mistakes. We're shooting ourselves in the foot repeatedly while people have better options. Andy, how would you suggest we approach the youth of uh, this country in terms of the youngest consumers? Is there an idea you've got for how to reach them, doing a better job of reaching them? Well, at some point, the industry is going to have to make it a point to target that audience. And I don't think there's many radio stations that are targeting younger audiences. But besides that, Gen Z and millennials have grown up their entire lives with with iPhones, smartphones, and with other options that they can listen to for audio content. If we're not providing superior options, and by the way, our brands mean less to them than they did to Gen X and baby boomers. If we have brands that inherently mean less, competing against brands that now mean more, and we're providing lousier content options because we insist on running 18 minutes of commercials, we don't invest in new personalities, and we're getting rid of older personalities, what do you think's going to happen? We need to do all the things that we know how to do for generations and apply it to younger targets. How many radio stations are actually doing their own research anymore on a regular basis? How many radio stations are actually marketing beyond some guerrilla marketing? How many radio stations have full promotion teams anymore and do regular promotions, not national contests? These are the basic building blocks of how to create audiences. And they're not done anymore because we're trying to figure out how to make the next quarter. Well, we might make the next quarter, and if you're lucky, you'll make this year. And I know there's a lot of people counting the days till their retirement and saying the next generation can worry about it, but there won't be anything left to worry about if we're not investing properly in the basic building blocks of creating audiences. Wow, some great stuff. Music researcher and major market PD turned sports and news talk leader, political operative for a while, and now writing for Barrett's, among other things. Our guest, Andy Bloom. Somebody you'd like to hear from? We'd love to hear from you. Email your suggestions to show at brandwithondemand.com. And coming up, Andy shares some opportunities he finds hiding in plain sight. 
Hi, this is Dave Tyler from Music Master with the world's leading authority on music scheduling, Keith Hill. You know, Music Master has some real secret sauce. First, I set up my rules so that every song scheduled obeys those unbreakable rules. But the goal rules in Music Master make it so much better. They are so correctly and intelligently crafted that I know I get higher ratings with longer time spent listening and longer time spent exposed on the stations that I work with. Music Master is a big part of my rating successes. Discover how to perfect your music. Visit musicmaster.com today. I am Mike McVeigh, President of McVeigh Media, and a recent guest on the bonus episode 1003 of Brandwith. This summer, I'll also be moderating the session Game Changers, coming up at Morning Show Bootcamp in Dallas. I'll be joined by other Brandwith guests like John Zellner, President of Programming Operations at iHeartMedia, Kelly Raspberry, The Kid Craddock Show, and TJ from The TJ Show at Gemini 13. Plus, Beasley's Justin Chase and Futuri Zena Burns. Also, special guest, Odyssey's Tim Clark. So we hope you can be there at Morning Show Boot Camp. Happens on August 10 and 11 at the Marriott Uptown in Dallas. To register, visit MorningShowBootCamp.com or check the Boot Camp link in the show notes. We hope to see you there. Opportunities hidden in plain sight. Brand with On Demand. We are with the gifted, talented, one and only Andy Bloom today. Hey, Andy, what's the one opportunity for radio that you see clearly kind of hiding in plain sight? Uh, this is for music program directors. All right. One of the things that we did, especially in the diary era, was we stacked up commercials out of one hour so we could get a commercial-free hour or hour and a half or certain number of songs. And I think there's a lot of radio stations that are playing music that still do that. And it's something that you should look into now. And the piece of advice that I would give, especially regarding drive time, especially in afternoon drive where, where you're probably doing it, is what is the average commute in your city? I'm in Minneapolis right now. The average commute in Minneapolis is 24.4 minutes. I can tell you there's a number of stations here who have, by the time they're done with their traffic and weather sponsorships and spot breaks and spots that have breaks that are over 10 minutes long. What do you wow. think a 10-minute break sounds like to somebody on a 24-minute commute? And that's the average commute. So there's a lot of people mm -hmm. who, from the time they get in their car to the time they get out of their car, have never heard anything but a disc jockey talking or a station promotion, the weather, the traffic, the sponsorships, and commercials. I, I just I'll roll off a couple others. In Kansas City, it's 20 minutes. In uh, Seattle, 28 minutes. In St. Louis, it's 22 minutes. You want the longer commutes? Chicago is 36 minutes. Washington, 32 minutes. New York is 39 minutes. Los Angeles, 32 minutes. Know what your average commute time is in your market and build your stop sets and your breaks with those in mind. And I would rather do shorter breaks now and not have those 60 or 90 minute commercial free sweeps where then somebody who gets in the car at the wrong time has their entire ride home that is a commercial break. 
Wow, he is terrific, isn't he, Kipper? Oh, heck yeah. That's Andy Bloom. We've got links to his latest writings and other cool stuff. Just scroll down your phone. As always, we want to thank our executive producer, Cindy Huber, for getting us all straight and putting us together, and associate producer, Hannah B., for booking. And coming up next... Hey, it's Steve Allen from The Research Director Incorporated, and on the next Brand With On Demand, we are going to look deep inside the ratings game and figure it all out and give you a few tips. That's a wrap, Kipper. The more you listen, the more you can learn. The next one-minute marginizing is about listening. Find it at brandwithondemand.com. I'm Dave Martin. And I'm Kipper McGee. May all your brand with be wide.